welcome to the Helping Families Rehabbing Podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, the co-founder of Familius Publishing, husband, father of nine, author, fly fisherman, backpacker, and aspirational musician based in the Central Valley of California. We hope to bring you nourishing, real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. I'm happy to introduce today's guest, Bree DeRosa from the Family Dinner Project. Bree DeRosa is a freelance writer and communications consultant with a background in creative and dramatic writing, arts education, and service learning. She spent over a decade working in program development and creative initiatives, largely for nonprofits and small businesses. Bree has been the content manager at The Family Dinner Project since 2014, has contributed to three cookbooks and practices her family dinner skills every night at home with her husband and two teenage sons. Today, we're exploring how to improve family dinner and why that is so important in today's busy world. This topic falls into the familiar eat together and talk together and play together habits. You can learn more about the familiar's 10 habits of happy families by going to the Habit Hub blog on familias.com. Well, welcome, Bree. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk. Well, I, I remember being at a lecture with the great historian David McCullough, who wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, nonfiction a biography of John Adams, among others. And I remember him saying something like, he said, Bring, he said, bring back family dinner. And then he said, bring back dinner. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, what, what is happening in, in the world today with family dinner? Yeah, so it's really complicated, right? And and it's sort of a a tale of two, two halves, right? Because we can sort of talk about pre-COVID. And then we can talk about post-COVID because there have been some changes, which we've done some, some research about and I want to share. But then also there's like this third phase that I almost feel like we're in now where it's post-COVID, but now what? So pre-COVID, what we saw was, you know, the majority of families, the majority of parents would say particularly that family dinner was really important right, that they wanted to have family dinner. And 80% of teenagers, believe it or not, would say that they wished they could eat dinner with their parents more often. So people really wanted to have dinner together. But what was happening was fewer than 30% of families actually were making it to the table together on any kind of regular basis, uh, which was concerning, right? It definitely, at, at the very least, showed a mismatch between what people valued and what they were able to do. Now, during COVID, what we found, which was kind of interesting, we did some research with our friends at Making Caring Common, which is part of the graduate, a Harvard Graduate School of Education. And what our research uncovered was that during the first year of the pandemic, when there were a lot of lockdowns and people were home more, family dinners improved. So more than 50% of respondents said not only were they having dinner much more frequently, but their dinners were more enjoyable. And they were citing things like um, having more help. You know, who would have thought that having, having somebody else in the household help you with dinner might actually make you feel better about dinner? You know, re revelatory, but true. So they were having, they were getting more help, 
right? Their kids were feeling more empowered to cook and be a part of the family dinner experience. And that made everybody feel good. They were talking more at dinner and they were connecting more. They felt more like they were talking about who they were as a family and what they really valued, what was really important to them and important things like what was going on in the world. Um, So in a number of ways, people's dinner habits actually got a lot better. Nutrition also got better because more people were cooking and eating at home, right? So all of these things improved drastically. And all of those people said, gee, we'd really like to continue these new habits after the world kind of opens back up. (laughs) Well, now you ask what's going on with family dinner? It kind of remains to be seen because the world has opened back up measurably, but now families are in this state of tension where they want to continue having these frequent and meaningful meals like they did during lockdown. But all of the stresses, challenges, and pressures of external life have come back in, and it's making it really hard for people to readjust and recalibrate. And some families are making more drastic decisions about how they spend their time so that they can prioritize family dinner, whereas others are just feeling so much like, you know, our kids missed out on everything. We have to put them back in all of the stuff and say yes to everything, and family dinner has gone right back out the window. So there is a lot of checks and balances in the world of family meals. So that's, there's a lot of information that's pretty fascinating, pre-COVID, COVID, post-COVID, and a lot we don't know yet. But everything you say comes back to, and we probably probably should have started with this, is you know, why is family dinner even that important? And it's so important for you and your team that you have a whole nonprofit organization about the family dinner. So help us understand what is the family dinner project and why is this so meaningful and so important? Yeah. So I appreciate you, you know, bringing, bringing that up because people, when I tell people what I do, right. They're like, wait, you're like, your job is dinner. I'm like, yeah, my job is dinner. Uh, Cause it is really important. And so the family dinner project is a nonprofit program of mass general hospital psychiatry Academy. And what we are based on is the principle of looking at the decades and decades and decades of really deep scientific research that has proven that family dinner is an important part of life, an important available daily intervention, you could say, that has a number of benefits for every member of the family, people of all ages. And we see health benefits, but we also see social, emotional, mental health benefits. We see academic benefits for kids. So it's really far ranging. You know, kids who eat dinner with their families tend to be more resilient Um, They tend to bounce back from bullying much more easily than kids who don't have regular meals with their families. They tend to have stronger friendship skills. They even tend to have stronger literacy skills. So young kids in particular who eat with their families develop storytelling, sequencing, and vocabulary skills even greater than if they were simply read to. Now, we're all for reading to your kids. Read to your kids a lot. Right. But also eat with them because the skills that they develop uh, as pre-readers at the dinner table enhance those benefits of being read to. So there's a lot there. And even, you know, all the way up through empty nesters eating together, 
you know, older people eating together. There are a whole host of benefits for adults that are now coming to light through new research where, you know, older adults who eat with someone else, whether that's a family member or a friend, if they have regular shared meal interactions with people, they have better mental health. Their loneliness decreases, which is a huge public health crisis for older older adults is loneliness. That decreases. Their nutrition increases. So there are a lot of really important benefits kind of across all avenues of life that are conferred by this one single event in the day. <laughs> Something it's not simple. I have a family of nine children. I know what it's like to, to make a, a family dinner and we do nothing that. in your in your house is simple. With nine kids, I can only guess. <laughs> but we've it's just been very important in our lives. We we do this every day. So You've given us a lot of benefits. It seems like, wow, we, we should definitely be engaging in family dinner. But you also su suggest that there's some challenges, time challenges, resource challenges. So how does the Family Dinner Project, how does it help people inculcate family dinner into their lifestyle? Yeah, great question. Because as you said, family dinner is, it's a relatively accessible intervention. Right. For most people, it's something that they could potentially do, um, but it's not simple. And so the Family Dinner Project, we always say that the research exists to tell us why dinner is important, but we exist to help you with the how. So we're all about providing free resources for families on our website and resources through our book where we're basically trying to break down the most common challenges that families have to having shared mealtimes. And we're trying to help them with the three key areas, food, fun, and conversation. Those are the three ingredients, we, we believe, of a really uh, meaningful, successful family meal that's going to confer all of these benefits. And so we're helping families with everything that we can think of, everything that we're hearing about that is a challenge or a barrier to having that food fun and conversation. And in recent, you know, recent months, we've gone down the avenues of trying to really dig into youth sports, for example, as one driver of why family meals aren't happening. And we've worked with experts at Mass General to create a whole youth sports and family dinner section of our website specifically targeted to those challenges. We also have a new initiative called the Welcoming Table that we've been working on with a variety of experts that's specifically targeted towards the, the challenges that come with having family members who are on the autism spectrum or have ADHD or have feeding challenges, sensory challenges. If those are barriers to your family meals, we're also targeting towards that. And so we're providing constantly kind of ideas, tips, resources, tools, and what I hope is reassurance, really. Because I think one of the biggest barriers that people experience to having family meals is their own mindset about what constitutes an okay family meal, right? That drive to have this like Instagrammable, everybody perfect, everybody, everything beautiful, you know, a full pot roast on the dinner table every night. Like, no, we're not doing that. Okay. I mean, if you want to do that, we've got some stuff that'll help you do that, but that's not what it's about. What it's about is just finding some time and taking a breath together and sharing food, fun, and conversation. 
Yeah, and and we should acknowledge that there are many many challenges that we create for family dinner. Whether people all have technology that they just want to stay on, or people's time commitments for their jobs. But then there's other ones that we don't have as much control over. For example, my family, we have a daughter who has what's called misophonia, and there's sounds that she just cannot stand, and one of them is chewing. <laughs> and so to have her sit at the dinner table sometimes is super hard because she just can't stand the idea or the sound of someone chewing. So sometimes she shifts over maybe about 10 feet away <laughs> and uh, we can still keep her in the room and discuss it. But there, there are things that, that hopefully we can still have family dinner, keep conversations going. And I would I'd also say, not it's just not the sitting down time. It's Actually, preparing the food together is a wonderful opportunity to have a conversation, learn skills, discuss what's happening in the world and in their lives. Yeah, and I think that's really important. It's it's not, I think, realistic for a lot of families that we've talked to that they can have that time every night. You know, a lot of times people are rushing in last minute and they just need the thing that's in the slow cooker or the lasagna out of the freezer or, you know, whatever. So being able to cook together is a really wonderful aspect of family dinner and also really at a premium when people's time is crunched. So it's great if you can do it. Um, but also the cleanup, I think, is another place that people overlook. Right. And one of one of the kind of veiled things that we're talking around a little bit here, but that I want to name is this thing of shared labor. Right. One of the barriers to family dinner that we don't name explicitly enough, I think, and we really need to, is that in many households, if not most, there's one person who's basically responsible for the planning, the shopping, the cooking, the cleanup. Right. I'm just going to go ahead and say still a lot of the time that's mom right? Or a female head of household. There's really kind of singular person who has the whole mantle of responsibility. And one of the things that makes family dinner feel so scary and onerous is if there isn't that division of labor, that opportunity to cook together, that opportunity to have people help clean up, or even just to help meal plan and shop. You know, one of the things that I always tell people if they have trouble with like meal planning and getting organized is, look, if you have kids, just put up a big piece of paper that has the days of the week on it and let them fill in what they want to eat, right? Don't you do the whole thing. Let them make suggestions, right? And I mean, obviously, if it's chicken nuggets three nights in a row, you're going to negotiate a little bit. But if it's chicken nuggets on Tuesday night, okay, <laughs> great. You didn't have to think of it, right? <laughs> Go ahead. It is what you make of it. I, I love that. And we've we've used that as well. Not every week. You know, some weeks are just hard. You just you're just rushing, right? And that's you got to deal with that. Um, not every you're not going to have a balanced life, <laughs> but er, sometimes you can have a week where you can make a great plan for every night of the week or for a specific night. I know we did this a few weeks ago, and one of my sons said that he wanted to to make ramen, and so he watched all these YouTube videos about making homemade ramen, and then he did everything, and I assisted him, and it was. It was something we'd never experienced before. It was uh, that we hadn't eaten ramen. It was really wonderful. We loved it. That's fantastic. I, and I love the ownership there too, right? The, right. It, when you let people take ownership, you know, and I say this to people all the time, like if your five-year-old wants to help with dinner, but they're at the level of like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, 
wow, what a great Friday night family dinner. Let them make the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and serve them up and feel really proud of it, right? Like just let people have some ownership over it. Let go, let go a little bit, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to have, you know, three vegetables and a whole grain every night. Like let's, let's do our best and be realistic. That's true. And little kids love to crack their own eggs. So They do. Little kids and cracking eggs is a whole thing, right? And we've got... In the book, we've got recipes for like some really fun. There's like the Raggedy Ann salad in the book where, you know, kids can like make art out of the components of a salad and like their hard boiled eggs and their hummus and their all the different things. It, there's a lot of hands on stuff that you can do with little kids that make just makes dinner more fun and interactive for them and easier for you. All right. Well, let's talk about the book for a second. So it's Eat, Laugh, Talk. And, how, and why did you create this book and, and how is it organized and how is it helping families? Yeah, so we created the book because, look, we have just hundreds, thousands of resources on our website. And those are always going to be there and free for families. But we wanted one go-to guide, right? If you could help a, a family overcome their family dinner challenges, if you could inspire a family to have more dinners together, we wanted that thing that you could hand to them and say, look, here's how you do it, right? And the idea behind it, it's the family dinner playbook is the, the subtitle. The idea behind it was to create a template for having a whole year's worth of family dinners. If you just can do once a week, right? Start there. If all you can do is like Friday nights or Sunday evenings or whatever, once a week is a great place to start. So there are 52 family dinners in here, full menus, simple recipes, lots of family stories, and it's organized around the different challenges, the most common challenges that we've heard from families over the decade plus that we've been in existence. So things like they're too picky, we're too busy, we're too distracted by digital devices, there's too big a crowd, you know, for the holidays, like the holiday season is coming up and all of a sudden, like you find out your entire family is coming and you just want to hide, right? There's too big a crowd. You know, there's all these different challenges in the book that, that we're trying to help solve through presenting the stories of real families who have managed it. What has their challenge been? How have they overcome it? They have really smart strategies. Real people have really good ideas. So we listened to them and we wrote the book with the menus and then also conversation starters and table games for all ages that go with each menu. So you can have that complete guide to food, fun, and conversation right in front of you. You know what you're going to do and it's a complete experience. <laughs> Well, it sounds, it sounds like you've just made it very easy for me to figure out how to have a family dinner at least once a week. So, that was the goal. <laughs> so you've helped us understand the why. You have a whole organization dedicated around the how. You've provided tools that, that facilitate it both online and in, in print form and in digital form. That's, that's great. Well, um, what, is there anything else that you think that we should know and do to try to improve, help, begin family dinner in our home and take advantage of all of these benefits that you've shared? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, there are a few things that I sort of think of as the family dinner starter pack, right? The things that everybody should keep in mind if they're really struggling. Um, Because look, there are families out there who might be listening right now who are like, okay, lady, that's great. But we realistically, you know, we're struggling and I'm working two jobs and my spouse is working two jobs. And We're never home at the same time. We're never all together. We don't have the resources or the time to make this work. And I would say to that family and to every other family out there, one thing to remember is we're the family dinner project, but it doesn't have to be dinner, Mm. right? It's any opportunity where you can connect meaningfully and purposefully around food, fun, and conversation. So it can be a family breakfast. We have a whole section of our website called the Family Breakfast Project that's dedicated to mini experiences, seven minutes or less. What will you eat? What will you talk about? And what will you do to get set up for your day? It could be Sunday lunch. It could be a snack, you know, sometimes, parents are able to get together with their kids for a few minutes between school and sports practice, right? If you take that moment to have some apple slices and cheese and talk, then you've done a family meal, right? I mean, you can really make it as small as that, but make it routine. One of the things that confers the benefits of family dinners is for people to be able to expect that interaction, right? Kids feel connected to that experience and they feel safe and know what to expect when it's something that they can rely on at certain times. So some families will just like even stick it in the Google calendar, right? Okay, Friday night, we're having pizza, right? Be home for it. So whatever that experience is. The other thing that I always tell families is, It doesn't have to be dinner and it doesn't have to be the whole family, right? It's great if it can be, but there are so many reasons why people can't necessarily get everyone together at the same time at the table. So one of the, uh, one of the families in our book has a rule. They've got, I think five sons, seven sons. I mean, big family like yours, Christopher. And uh, their, their big family rule is no one eats alone. So it could be two of you eat at 4.30 before soccer practice, right? And then three others come home after ballet and have their dinner together, whatever it is. But everybody, you know, we, we kind of refer to that as the split shift dinner, right? It's okay to have a split shift dinner. As long as everyone has someone to eat and interact with, that's a family meal, Even college kids in the dining hall who are making groups to eat with and they do that every night. Guess what? That's also a family dinner. Family is what you make of it. So it's any time that you are sharing food, fun and conversation in any format with anybody who's important to you that can confer some of the same benefits as what we think of as this kind of Norman Rockwell dinner experience. Uh, great, great counsel, great advice. Um, I, our family has done exactly what you've said. Saturday morning is always homemade buttermilk pancakes. Sunday afternoon is always homemade spaghetti and salad. And Monday evening is always homemade pizza. And I, re- I use the word homemade is because the, the Robbins family have, uh, some of our children have soy allergies. And so we, by necessity, have had to learn to to cook and prepare our foods at home rather than use processed meals just because we can't trust that they might have a, have soy in them. 
So that has made it easy for us, even though sometimes we say, I don't want spaghetti today. And that's okay. We can change that. But at least three days of the week, we know exactly what we're going to have. And that makes shopping easy and everything else easy. Well, it's been delightful to chat with you. There's so much we can learn. And I love that the, the, the laugh part, if I remember right, Eat Laugh Talk actually has some has some games in it that help people. And not you can have, you can play games while you're having dinner or having breakfast or lunch. <laughs> yeah, we've got a ton of games, and I, I also want to point out, you know, besides the dinner games in the book, you can play any game. You know, we we met a family where it was a mom and her daughter, and her daughter was really shy and just didn't love to talk at dinner. And I think everybody knows a kid like that, right? Who just isn't much of a, a talker. And she always felt kind of on the hot seat with mom during dinner. So her mom just went the complete opposite direction, grabbed a deck of Uno cards. And for years throughout this child's entire like junior high and high school experience, they played the never ending game of Uno during dinner every <laughs> single night. And I just thought that was so genius because it kept them there together, enjoying each other's company, enjoying each other's time. And it took that pressure off. So, yeah, there's a ton of different games in here. Um, and I, I play some of them with my own family. And I'll tell you, it, even some of the games for little kids in the book, my teenagers still love. Like there's one called Cat and Cow that's just silly. And you make cat noises and cow noises. And so get the book, people, so you can look up Cat and Cow. But um, my 13-year-old and 16-year-olds still love to play Cat and Cow at dinner, in an airport, anytime they're waiting in line. I mean, it's it's just fun. It's silly and it makes you laugh. And I think that's one of the most undervalued things about family dinner is that opportunity that it presents for people to just unwind and laugh together and have a good time. Good. Good, good. For our guests, they can find Eat, Laugh, Talk, wherever books are sold. But Bree, thanks so much for taking time to, to speak with us and share all that you're doing. What a great work you're providing. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Where can I, our guests find you online? Yeah, so you can find us at thefamilydinnerproject.org. And uh, we're also on social media. So uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, The Family Dinner Project. Uh, you'll be able to find us in all of our resources and links to the book. And we hope that everybody will join us because it's a, it's a fun online community to be a part of. Yeah, good. Well, as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familias for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review on iTunes and social media. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Familias. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. 